welcome everyone. Thanks for being here. Today I'm joined with Dr. Amrita McClanahan. So I'm so happy to join you today to talk about uh, using yoga and natural approaches to help boost the immune system. Yes, so during this time more than ever, it seems like all of us would have a uh, large interest in, in keeping our immune system strong. Uh, I know you have such a, a wealth of knowledge, but if you could only kind of offer a few main points for keeping the immune system strong, what would you suggest? Well, we want to keep the immune system optimum. It's not just uh, to increase the number of white cells that can fight infections, but it's to have a balanced increase of the optimum functioning of inflammation, the optimum functioning of various aspects. So the immune system consists of the elements in the blood that fight off viruses directly through the white cells. Uh, they get the uh, uh, information that this is not a comfortable virus for the body, and they can eliminate it in several ways. One is to produce antibodies, uh, which have the sort of direct code for that particular uh, invader. Another is just general maintenance, which other cells do. So the immune system is dependent on optimum diet, optimum rest, optimum uh, circulation as well. So these help to keep the immune system healthy. So just kind of review, hand washing does make a difference. This particular COVID virus is spread uh, not by touching the skin, but by touching the, the particular droplets and then bringing them to your mouth or eyes or nose. If you're exposed when someone coughs or even breathes, even when they're talking, they emit droplets and we can uh, be exposed to them through the eye, through the nose, through the mouth, which is why wearing a mask is important, washing your hands regularly, not touching surfaces. Um, in general, staying home long enough so that uh, hot spots get quieted. That's what staying home helps do. And I know that in general, the public is quite anxious to get out of quarantine, but quarantine does work. In many other countries, they just had a whole country quarantine and they're now back uh, sort of releasing themselves because the number of cases has become so few. Our country didn't do that. We're number one in the world in number of cases, uh, which is now, now in jeopardy of becoming much worse because people are so eager to go out. Uh, and many people who have this virus spread it without knowing that. And uh, so we need to keep our systems uh, optimum to identify and get rid of the invader. Well, that depends on these various factors. Your immune system is very affected by uh, things that yoga can address. For example, um, the yoga asanas can help to, with circulation of your white cells to where they need to go to, to recognize and fight off this infection. The quantity and quality of your white cells is affected by yoga practice. Um, and by uh, pranayama directly, the stronger your lungs are, the better circulation. This is a virus that tends to settle in the lungs and so our, having our lungs have optimum ability to recognize and fight off this virus, very important. So asana, pranayama, uh, meditation, 
meditation that when the mind is quiet, the immune system can do its work. When it's agitated and under stress, it draws energy away from and has to cope with the other things that the body is doing, the arms and legs to get ready or fight for fight or flight, the heart and brain, and not to maintenance as much. So the maintenance department is our immune system. It's very dependent on lymph flow. Uh, we have four times as much lymph as we do blood, and keeping the lymph flowing through asana, pranayama, and through the quieting and relaxation, and I'll do a deep relaxation with everybody later, the more more relaxed we stay, the more the ability of the immune system to be functional. Then in terms of diet, I'll just say um, briefly that a vegan whole foods diet is the way to go to avoid sugar. Even one tablespoon of sugar will make the white cells less active. Dairy products interferes and, and inflames the body. All the meat products inflame the body so the immune system can't work as optimally. So whole foods is very important, not smoothies or fruit juices or things made out of those things that are refined, any kind of white rice or white flour. Um, any th refined foods are going to interfere with the immune system. It makes me think that, that perhaps we, we start even with, you know, taking the time, it might seem obvious, but to ask how important is it to me to have a healthy body, to have a healthy system, right? It, it seems that even in this, you know, the situation with people um, prioritizing, uh, well, should I, should I take these matter, um, matters seriously? Should I remain quarantined? Uh, should I wear a mask? Should I clean my hands? All of that. Or do I need to kind of join the rat race, so to speak, and get working again and uh, make money? Obviously, money is an important thing, but how important is it to even just like stop and reflect and say, uh, my body is my vehicle for doing everything. Therefore, perhaps it should go to the, the top shelf of priority. Well, that's it. Health is always uh, the one number one priority it has to be it should be uh the economy follows from health not the reverse and i think that's that's the message we need to get out there and also yoga has uh a sort of an understanding of what the purpose of the human journey is why are we in these bodies we are here to express and experience love and our connection to our infinite source so the purpose is to know ourselves from the inside out, to answer the basic questions of life. Who are we and what are we supposed to be doing here? Those are the basic questions that are the spiritual questions of life. And yoga says you don't have to understand them by some particular faith or philosophy. You can experience the answers to them by these various practices of yoga. And then once you understand your purpose, then everything else that you make in terms of choices in life, that it's, it's kind of painful to have to wear a mask or not to go out or uh, have to wash your hands a lot, have to distance yourself from others. But it aligns with the purpose of service and love, love and serve. Uh, and the touchstone of a, what is an ethical act, what is the best act for a yogi is it should bring benefit to someone and harm to no one. That's the touchstone. So it should be benefit to someone, everybody staying healthy, 
as much as possible and then harm to no one. So if you go out and you're a carrier, even if you don't know it and you infect someone else, that's a kind of negative karma that reflects back on you. So who will be the happiest person in life? The one who cares for others as well as themselves. As Sri Gurdjieff often said, I illness, we wellness. When we think of ourselves in isolation, that leads to illness. But if we think of the group, the whole, if we really unite, uh, and we can unite, as Oprah says, we can come together and unite. Uh, it's a wonderful program she did called Unite We Can. You can find it on the internet. It's really worth seeing. So many people speaking to the idea that it's a time for us to learn a big lesson about how the world is, is all connected and that we need to care and share and put a priority on health. Now, we're, we're applauding the healthcare workers now around the world. We understand now they're, they're more important than we had thought. And they're the ones exposed day after day to this virus. So it's important to everybody unite to support them because they are doing this really hard work. And to understand that uh, when any of us get sick, all of us are lessened. Uh, we go into eye illness. We are not uh, separate from each other. We are one beingness uh, appearing in these multiple forms. And so in order to maintain our own happiness, we think of the happiness of others. Yeah, and I think that there's, you know, maybe a lot of confusion around this idea, maybe even the word, you know, selfish, right? Because we mainly use that, yeah. that word in, in a way of, uh, okay, there's like a certain amount of resources, perhaps, and I need to grab my share in order to survive. <laughs> uh, uh, what, what was that? Yeah, get that toilet paper. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, or else, you know, I'm going to be in trouble. But I think, you know, what Swami Sachidananda says and what you're alluding to, you know, is that the real selfish, like like in, in the sense of, of self-care, what's going to... Uh, make the self happy is actually to be selfless, right? Bring happiness to others, and yes. then I will be happy. Yeah, it doesn't mean ignoring your own needs, but as much as possible, sharing, uh, caring, and noticing what everybody else needs. Because altruists live longer, optimists live longer, uh, or maybe it's just optimistic researchers who think optimists live longer. But the idea is that when we reach out and care for others, it helps keep keep ourselves healthier and happier and when we we're very social creatures when we feel socially connected it helps protect us from illness it is the the most predictive of who will get sick is people who feel isolated it's one of the reasons uh besides uh other factors that nursing homes are particularly vulnerable mainly because their air is circulated uh without ex outdoor air, which is another reason to have uh, our homes be circulating as much as possible outdoor air to help prevent the accumulation of these droplets and particles. That being in enclosed spaces puts at us at much higher risk, but also feeling isolated and feeling a, a disconnect from purpose. And even at the very minimum, a yogi can pray for others because we know the power of thought 
and the, that it does resonate. That we live in electrical energy universe, and when we think a thought, it is a kind of energy we are creating about the level of a light bulb of energy out of our brain uh, as we go through our day, and that's very it, it's it's very influenced by the thoughts we think. So, positive thoughts, prayer do make a difference in our universe. So at the very minimum, we can pray for others and otherwise look for other ways to be of service. I want to ask you about freedom too, that the, how important it is to feel free to kind of spend my yeah. life as I want. So, you know, for example, you know, I think we're, we're told a lot, you know, what we should be doing. So even you know, take, for example, you know, to give, to share, to help other people. If yes. we're told that we should do that, does it have the same power as if we reflect and then come to the conclusion ourselves? Well, that's what I want to be doing with my time. I want to be giving. I want to be helping. So that element of, of self-discovery, is, is that really important as opposed to trying to just follow a formula for what other people are saying I should be doing with my well, life. Well, it's a very good point. We as humans, we don't like to be told what to do. We don't. Uh, I, I used to smoke, which I learned how to do in medical school to deal with my stress. People would, come, <laughs> people would come up to me and they'd shake their finger at me and say, you should quit smoking. I just smoke more because that's, that's our sort of free to be dumb, free dumb. That we, that we as humans tend to go for the free dumb. But the, ultimate freedom the ultimate happiness we want to be happy everybody just wants to be happy well if we figure out and analyze the way to be happy is not to put smoke into your lungs and i remember a person came up to me at a party they put their hand on my shoulder and they said what's a great person like you doing smoking so the message was that i was valuable and that's the message we need to give to ourselves and to each other that each one of us has something to contribute because nobody else can be you. You are unique and you are beloved. Uh, I, I think it's really important we understand that. Um, there's a wonderful booklet uh, that the ashram created uh, and I wanted to mention to, pe to people today uh, a couple of resources. One is this booklet called Choosing Life. Uh, which you can avail yourself free at the ashram, just let us know. It's called Suicide Prevention and Hope, which is about if people feel depressed or they feel like they want to, they feel so isolated. These are Sri Gurudev's words on that very topic. And this is Dr. Ornish's new book, a relatively his latest book is called Undo It. And it's, it's really Swami Sachidananda's teachings. And the basic teachings are, uh, move more, do asana, eat well, vegan whole foods diet, stress less, do yoga practice and meditation, and then love more, which really ultimately that's the touchstone. Uh, when we love ourselves, we take care of our vehicle so that we can have a more joyous human journey. And, uh, and it doesn't help. Uh, one of my favorite books is of Swami Sachidananda is the golden present and I it's a reading for each day and the reading for January 1st is um, life is an obstacle course and you can't walk around all the obstacles put your hand out for the trophy you have to go through and learn from each of the challenges and change a problem into a challenge 
and learn the lessons associated with it. So, and ultimately it is about love, experiencing ourselves as the love we seek, being the love that we want to see in the universe, and then experiencing a, a whole person ourselves and bringing that whole joyful person to life rather than expecting life to give you joy. And that's the ultimate freedom. Hmm. Is there any, anything that you use um, when you experience a challenge, right? I, I find this a very difficult practice is that when I'm going through a challenge to literally see it as an opportunity, right? Like in my mind, yeah. In my mind, I, I said, okay, I believe that that's true, that when I go through a challenge, um, I learn something from it and I grow. But in the midst of the actual challenge, yeah. Yeah. To, to, to believe that um, as a way maybe not to suffer as much while we're going through it. Well, yeah. I think there are a couple ways to do it. One is look for the gift in the rotten wrapping. That's what you look for the silver linings playbook. You look for, okay, this rotten thing happened, but there's something good that I can find. And after the night of, uh, on the evening of 9-11, when it happened in the morning that evening, Swami Satchidananda gathered us all in Shivananda Hall and Satsang. And one of the first things he said was, it's going to be hard for you to hear this now, but something good is going to come out of this. People are going to become more spiritual. And it's true. It did turn people to asking questions about, what is life or what is God and where is God and how can I become more spiritual? There was, there was really a, a turning toward that. And my hope is that this particular virus will also do that. And there is, there are signs like what Oprah did with lots and lots of people appearing on this special fundraiser to talk about how we can unite, how we can be positive uh, instead of uh, fighting for resources or playing politics or, as Swamiji used to say, politics. Uh, no, it must be a time that we all come together to care about each other. And that's really, uh, uh, to me, that gets me out of uh, being stuck. Sometimes if I feel really uh, challenged and can't figure out a solution, I'll say, well, God is omnipresent. Oh, that means here too, here too. Let me look around and see where I can find the connection that I'm looking for right here, right now. How about the, the power in existing in a place of unknowing? So even taking, taking the example of, of COVID, the current situation, yes, and saying, okay, I can see both sides. I can see that this is in many ways a, a very horrible thing. You know, people are losing their lives, they're suffering, all of that. And then the other side, too, is that, okay, that there's some goodness that can come out of it, some evolution, some understanding, all of that. But that the, the whole mixed bag, the whole, the whole bag of it is maybe beyond me understanding, you know, whether it's good, whether it's bad. So do human beings have, have this tendency because we can understand so much because the mind is, is amazing, we're so intelligent, to think that we can understand it all? Um, but well, is there a real practice in just letting it go and just saying that I'm just going to trust. I don't, I don't know what's going to happen and I'm okay to, to kind of be in that place. Yes. Yes. That's a very good point is that we, as soon as we embrace what is 
a lot of the pain disappears. Now, pain is our friend, and that's the thing to remember. If we didn't have pain, we'd lose our fingertips because we wouldn't withdraw them from hot surfaces. Pain is to tell us that we are going in the wrong direction, and we were. You, know, you look around and you see how much pollution is, we're free of now that humans have stopped polluting. I've never seen the sky so clear. And so we have to see that pain has a purpose and there is a purpose. And once when Swamiji was leaving for three months and I always felt so much peace in his presence, I said, how can I feel this peace while you're gone? And he said, embrace suffering. And I thought, well, wow, that's kind of like a Zen Cohen, embrace suffering. But the point is, is that we, we love to embrace pleasure. We're all for that. But when we can embrace suffering and find meaning in it, even if we don't know the bigger picture, we find some positive side of lessons we can learn and it will help us on our path. Now, as far as the ultimate experience called Samadhi, Sama means maximum, G means meditation. In yoga, we're aiming towards Samadhi, which is maximum meditation. When the mind is absolutely quiet and tranquil, we experience the silence, the peace, what the Buddhists call basic goodness. And that's, to me, the touchstone that we're looking for ultimately. Even if we feel the agitation of the moment, of the mind, and we also don't know a purpose behind something, we can still feel that underneath dealing with things calmly, uh, accepting what is and embracing it and finding some way to be serviceful and loving in the midst of it will give us strength. And to move toward that ultimate understanding. Ult ultimate understanding is ultimate. Our ultimate is our, mm. is our soul. We, we are our own soulmates. Uh, we just have to know that soul. And when the mind gets quiet enough through our practices, then we feel the presence of that soul. I, I particularly, my first experience of, of it was in, when I was a stressed out medical student, I went to my first yoga class, integral yoga class, and we came to the deep relaxation part. Uh, and I, you know, you go to let go of your body a bit, let go of your mind. And then I, I said, I got into a state of connection to peace. And I thought, wow, this is a kind of medicine. And it is a kind of medicine, and it is kind of a, a signpost to the ultimate. It does feel like a, a medicine to me as well, yeah. being in that, in that peaceful state or giving yeah. the whole system a chance to rejuvenate. And, and even then, you know, that's when I realize what's going on when I'm not in that state, when I, when I drop everything, it's like even all these, these thoughts that feel really important, different tracks that the mind gets on, I can just let it all go and say, right now I'm going to give myself time to not think about anything. And then you just sense how healthy it is to do that. Yeah. And, and also just every action has a little yoga in it. Uh, whatever action we are doing, if we quiet the mind and focus on that, there's a certain joy. Even just opening a door, put your door handle on with consciousness. It's enough just to be conscious. And who we are, consciousness are us. 
That's our essence. Uh, not Toys R Us, although Western culture has thought that. It can't be Toys R Us anymore. They went bankrupt. So we are turned now to who, who, who is us eternally, and that's pure consciousness. Someone can bonk you on the head, and when you wake up, what are you? Conscious. It, mm. You can't be without it. You can be more or less aware of it, but you can't be without it. So consciousness are us. And if you, if you just bring consciousness to each moment, the natural joy, that's what Satchidananda means. Sat means the truth or beingness. Beingness is the truth. And Chit means once you're aware of that beingness, then you get Ananda, bliss. So it's a great revelation to me to realize, oh, I just have to be conscious of my consciousness. That's all. And someone gave me a great definition of discipline. They said, discipline is when you put the screws right in the doorknob so you can open the door. So that's mm -hmm. what we're doing through all our practices is just simply to allow us to be more conscious of our consciousness, be Satchidananda. How important is it to kind of accept the whole gamut? Um, meaning to say, to not put things in categories of good versus bad so that therefore it's bad when I'm not conscious and it's good when, when I am to instead perhaps just say, there's gonna be a, a natural flow and it's inevitable that I'm gonna kind of be more conscious and more peaceful sometimes and less other times, and it's all okay. I accept the whole process of the thing. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's a great accomplishment to be conscious all the time. There are a few masters who have achieved that. Meanwhile, uh, you can grow a spinach overnight, but an oak tree takes takes time. So if, if, if it were a, weren't a great accomplishment, you could snap your fingers and do it. It takes steady practice over time, and it takes practice and time, and practice and time. <laughs> it's hard work. <laughs> the Dalai Lama, he loves to say, it's hard work. He gets up at 3.30 every morning, meditates for six hours. <laughs> it's hard work. So, uh, and yet, it's a great accomplishment because the higher you climb, the better the view. So in a way, to be gentle with ourselves, to be steady without break, uh, and, and just accept that, you know, my sister at age 40 decided to play the violin. And at the beginning, she was horrible. We all had to go in the other parts of the house when she was practicing. But gradually, she got better and better. And eventually, it was blissful. And that's it. That's it. We just encourage ourselves. When a baby's trying to walk and they're falling all over the place, we don't say, that's bad walking. That's terrible walking. You're doing bad walking. <laughs> And we naturally say, great, great, you can do it, you can do it. So when we say to ourselves and, and get happy and enthusiastic, the word enthusiasm means in God. When we are enthusiastic about the positive things we do, gradually the negative leaves if you get enthusiastic. And they, they've actually done some studies of feeding people fruit, whole fruit and vegetables for two weeks. And about two weeks, that's what people crave. If you eat pizza regularly, you crave pizza. If you eat snails, you crave snails. If you eat whole foods, eventually that what, that's what tastes great to you. Mm. Makes me think of, about labeling. And, uh, well, I think yeah. you're right about judgment. Judgment was the fall. Uh, I think in the Bible that they talked about, nothing wrong with the apple, uh, nothing wrong with 
giving somebody an apple to eat. But what came with the apple as a metaphor was judgment, that something was good and something was not good. And it's judgment that takes us out of the Garden of Eden. To say that when we do that, we lose that, the, that there is a wisdom or, or an unfoldment that, that the negative also has a role to play. It turns us towards the light. Uh, the dark and the light are necessary for the drama. And yet, above the drama is the witness, which is always eternally pure and peaceful, and the basic peace behind the manifest universe. So the yantra is a good example of that. In the beginning, everything was one, one, one. And God got kind of bored and so decided to appear as many, dark and light. And so even in the Bible, it says in the beginning there was light and God saw it and it was all good. And then it was just, again, boring. So got to have some dark. Shakespeare said all life's a stage. You, you don't, you know, if everybody got on the stage and just stood there, there'd be no drama. So we look at the drama also part of the story, but not to get involved in the story to the point where we forget who we really are, which is peace and joy, radiant love and light. And that's what's on the other side when we're not in the body, that peace, that glory, that light, which is beyond physical light, um, that's there. And I have a friend who had a cerebral malaria and she was in a coma for a a weekend when she came back into her body she said it was like putting on two tight pantyhose the body is so confining and constricting compared to the radiant being of light that we really are at our essence and the yoga practices we can use to help experience that now while we're while we're in the body it seems that that perhaps there's this choice or a divergence that happens uh, in terms of a perspective of life that we can take, either this is something that I have to go through to get through to survive, right? That's one side. And the other is to see it as this glorious opportunity, uh, a gift that I've been given. And what do I want to do with this gift of time? And, and, and depending on which choice we make will lead to a completely different experience of life. Yeah. It's really true. It's very true. That goes up back to the basic questions of life. Who are we and what are we supposed to be doing here? So this is summer camp. That's home on the other side when we're without the body. The Antra tells us not only that we all came from one spot, which, you know, I asked a, a friend of mine, the Antra is really a picture of the Big Bang. And I asked a friend of mine who's a physicist, is it still true? He said, yes. Uh, actually, they recorded a sound that came before the Big Bang. It went something like, Oops. <laughs> no, that's a joke. Actually, <laughs> the, the Vedas are the oldest written scriptures we have. And the very first Veda is the Gayatri Mantra, which says, Oh, you, meaning God, who are the light of consciousness, not a physical light. Oh, you who are pure consciousness, may everyone experience themselves and remember themselves. Remember, put all the members back together. Reality. Remember when we're all allity, uh, return to the land of what is real, is real, uh, 
may everyone, ex so the first oldest prayer in the universe is for the enlightenment of everyone. And then the first Veda says, in the beginning, in God arose desire. So the whole manifest show is based on desire. D means away from, sire means source or father. Every desire we have in our mind is to be somewhere else. That's what the vrittis are, the little thought bubbles, the, the chatter in our minds is based on desire. So desire to be somewhere else or rewrite the past or whatever. So the basics of yoga are bring yourself back to the present moment, let go of the past, which leads to depression, let go of the future, which leads to anxiety uh, and worry about the future, and just live in that present moment, the present moment of peace and joy, love and light, which is heaven on earth, which is love. And love, I like the definition of love. Love is the choice of connection or consciousness in each moment. And then have family with every person you meet. Be pull, fully present for each person you meet. And then you're always home. Then you're always in heaven. Heaven on earth. Hmm. Is it helpful to um, consider that perhaps there's no way to escape the present either? That even if I'm thinking about the past or I'm thinking about the future, those are just different ways of being in the present, that there is no actual escape anyway. And therefore maybe like just well, sitting. To, yeah. yeah. To accept the thoughts is the first step and not to deny the emotions or the thoughts, but to analyze them. Okay. What, what is this kind of uh, wanting to be somewhere else, which is what the vrittis are. And can I, at the same time, I appreciate and accept that they're where they're coming from, which is past experience. The, you know, the body and the mind are just trying to protect ourselves. They want to be happy. They want the least amount of effort to be happy, and they don't want pain. I mean, this is what our basic, what our minds and the vrittis are doing. But underneath that is the pure essence of consciousness. A baby, when it sleeps, oh, blissful. Our natural state is blissful when we let go in deep relaxation. We get a little taste of that bliss uh, underneath everything. So to have the spiritual connection in the midst of daily life, that's what we're aiming at. To accept whatever comes, yes, but at the same time, analyze. Oh, is anger really the best choice? Anger, someone gave a great definition of anger. Anger is when we choose poison, hoping it will hurt someone else. It hurts us, these negative emotions. So we act, actually in yoga recommend pratipaksha bhavana of the thoughts and emotions. I say, put the good stuff in, just like the good foods. And eventually those thoughts will just ha have less uh, power. And we will be uh, enjoying, living in, in joy, the joy that is our essential self. So the Zen people call it beginner's mind or baby mind. And I gave my nephew, when he was two years old, a chess set to play with. And I noticed he was having as much fun playing with the box that the chess set came in as the chess pieces because he didn't discriminate that one was for playing with and one was not. He played with everything. So I think, again, our aim with our practice is analyzing and seeing what works best for the body, for the mind, and ultimately to maintain our connection to the eternal, infinite bliss, mm. beingness. Yeah, it makes me think of, of, of just having fun 
with it too. It's just, oh, if there's this lightness and having fun yeah. that I, I get to analyze, oh, yeah. I get to try out yeah. different things, I get to yeah. explore. Well, whenever anybody asked Swami Satchidananda, what is the purpose of life? He would always say fun. It's all for fun. And the yantra gives us a clue, which is that if from the beginning it was one and then all these manifestations came. And then there are op four little openings on the sides of the yantra. And that's the path back to experiencing the oneness. So the story of the Wizard of Oz is based on that truth. Uh, Frank Baum, who wrote The Wizard of Oz, is a, was a student of yoga. And so uh, the different characters on the yellow brick road, that was the yogic path. And that was yana yoga and bhakti yoga and, in, and raja yoga. Those were the various paths of yoga. And the aim was to go back to the, to the, to, uh, you know, Oz, uh, the, our source, our beautiful inner emerald essence and uh and glenda at the end says to dorothy you were home all along and that is the message of yoga is that we have home ho om within us uh and we were home we never left that spiritual truth we just kind of uh made it di more difficult to see by all the vrittis in the mind so we begin with that blissful state and then we get caught up in where happiness should live and then uh, when we analyze it and we come back to the basic fun and joy of being in the body and yet maintaining our connection to eternal peace and our Satchitananda nature. And once we establish ourselves in that, then life does become fun and we can laugh. We can choose laughter really is the best medicine to laugh at ourselves, laugh at others, laugh at the whole drama. Uh, they say tragedy plus time equals comedy. <laughs> and already <laughs> there are a lot of uh, parodies on the YouTube about the, the upside or the positive side of quarantine. Uh, all kinds of ways people are laughing at the conditions that we're in right now. Yeah. And it isn't to diminish grief or sadness of losing someone, but it is to understand that because we see everything as eternal. It's not the same loss that, that I think people get caught up in. Usually we can see and we can still feel connected to people when they're not in the body. One of my friends uh, was killed in an accident and his spirit came to me in the middle of the night, woke me up and, and said, I want you to dictate a letter to my wife and I can't reach her now. She's so upset. And I said, okay, and one of the first things he said, time doesn't just stand still on the other side. It sits still. So in other words, we're in time when we're in our bodies, but we're out of time when we're connected to spirit. And then he said, the light's much better over here. So the light of pure consciousness is beyond physical. It is a light of joy, peace, and, and we can feel that. And, and people, so the person who has left the body, they're okay. They're in that peace and that light. Uh, and it's up to us to, to maintain that peace and joy because it won't help them to grieve too much. When I went down to the lotus after Swami Satchidananda left his body, I just burst into tears as I were walking toward it. I thought, can't imagine him not being here. So I was sitting in the all-face hall. I was sobbing. And I heard Gurudev's voice in my, <laughs> he communicated to me, don't cry too much. 
the message was, okay, it's okay to cry some, but don't disturb other people by your crying and don't disturb yourself too much. So um, also just briefly, I, I, I broke up with uh, some fellow I was dating, some relationship disaster. I called Swamji on the phone and I was sobbing on the phone. He said, are you going to keep crying? And I said, yeah, I think so. He said, good. It's a kind of pranayama. It gets up the <laughs> It gets up the mucus. So immediately I started laughing. And so once again, when we embrace, uh, the, embrace suffering and embrace even the negativity, then we're afraid. We're really afraid. Yeah, just quickly, um, you know, I, I had a moment when I was kind of considering, you know, obviously there are people that you could say have a much better situation than you, you do and people that have a much worse. And sometimes we can feel guilty over our particular situations that it might be better than, than other people. But then I considered, you know, when I'm really down or if I have less than someone else, you know, how would I want the, the person who has more um, to react to me, you know, having less, obviously if there's not, not like a direct correlation there. And the thing that came to me was like, I just want them to appreciate it. You know, I, them feeling bad about what they have it's not going to help me at all. But if, you know, if you take it for granted and you still are upset by, um, by your situation, then, you know, it's not, it's not helping anyone. So, so therefore it's like the power of gratitude, you know, I think is, you know, just yeah, the, the, the power of gratitude changes our brain. We change our brain when we think thoughts of gratitude, it's impossible to be as stressed. It's a great remedy for stress. So first thing in the morning, laugh. Even fake laughter works. Just laugh with delight. That's what children do in the morning. And then think of some things to be grateful for. And the same at night. Laugh and be grateful. And one of my favorite books about yoga philosophy is called The Upanishads. It's a translation by Thomas Katz. And it's really the basic philosophy of yoga, which we chant from the Upanishads every morning as part of our daily chants here at Yogaville. And one of the things from the Upanishads I like best, it's the philosophy side of the Vedas, the oldest scriptures that we have. And uh, one of the phrases I like is, the enlightened person does whatever is appropriate. And that's it. When it's appropriate to giggle and have fun, we do that. When it's appropriate to be serious, we do that. We do it as a service. And uh, we notice what is appropriate and do that. Uh, we are coming from a touchstone of love and serve. And, and to plug into that appropriateness, does, does it have to be kind of uh, an experience beyond the mind where, you know, the mind in itself isn't maybe the best uh, assessor of what is appropriate, but the whole experience of the body and the spirit, if we tune into that, does that allow for more kind of appropriate reactions to all the different situations we find yes, ourselves absolutely. in? absolutely. We're, we're energy beings you can come into a room and two people have had an argument they don't have to say a thing what do you feel you feel the energy that comes out of our body based on the thoughts that we're thinking which is why the yogis were so careful about quieting and then directing our thoughts toward unselfish thoughts because that keeps us safe when we go for we wellness instead of i illness and to quiet the mind enough we think between 300 to 1000 thoughts a minute so we want to go down 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 quieting the breath and the breath and the thoughts are so related 
here's a great tip. It is impossible to stay stressed if you make yourself breathe slowly and deeply. So if you start every morning with pranayama, you're going to have a different kind of day. Then if you start it with a drug like caffeine, you'll have an agitated day and you'll get more tired. So instead, do go to Dr. Pranayama on call 24-7, no copay. Dr. Pranayama will get us in touch with that quiet essence beyond thought. And we can have both. Yeah, I was thinking when, you know, we're just starting the deep relaxation also of of, you know, what is between me and kind of experiencing more of a relaxed feeling. And it seems that there's like a speed that we can get caught into in life, right? Even in the morning, right? And then if we do oh, yeah. uh, pranayama, right? This is, it's just like this slowing down. It seems like it's just operating on a different level of speed and that there's some resistance when we're very comfortable in the go, go, go. Oh, absolutely. It's completely different. It's what I always felt in Swami Satchidananda's presence, that he had enough years of practice of keeping the mind in that state. So they, they hooked him up to some EEG devices once. They were looking for more alpha waves, which happens when we meditate, when we, when we get quiet, when the mind gets quieter from our normal beta waves that we're doing with random thoughts. And they couldn't find any more alpha, and they thought, well, you know, starting to get embarrassed. Here's the big Swami. We're not showing. He j- he's just so calm. He said, hmm, maybe you're not measuring the right thing. So they turned <laughs> to Theta, which is next to deep sleep. And he was in Theta with his eyes open and talking, which is, that's how peaceful. Uh, that's what Samadhi means, is conscious sleep. So we are, I think we go somewhere each night when we go to sleep, we go to God, we go to our source in deep sleep, and then we feel that peace. Uh, Well, the aim of our yoga practice is feel it while we're awake and always maintain a connection to that peace in the midst of the dance, the leela, the drama of life. We still feel connection to peace. So Swamiji used to talk, it's like being in a movie theater. You're sitting in a movie theater and you're gripping onto your hand, uh, shoulder uh, and, and gripping onto your seat and uh, and getting caught up in the drama or if you're a, uh, an actor on stage and you're, you're supposed to cry and you really start crying that won't work so instead you keep your sense of peace you see that it's all a movie on some level there's only one beingness here there's only one of us here there's only one of us here, even though we look like we're multiple people on Zoom. There's only one of us here appearing as many. And so if I experience myself as that oneness, then I can see that oneness in you. And then I feel always home. Uh, we're home all along, Dorothy. Okay. Uh, would you like to close us with uh, the sound of yeah. Om? Three Oms again. The sound, the first sound of the universe, the sound of the yantra is Om. Uh, Everyone inhaling. Loka Samasta. Sukino Bhavantu. May the entire universe be filled with peace and joy, love and light. If you've enjoyed this content and think others might as well, please feel free to share and subscribe.